All right, everyone, we are live, and this time, I think for the second time in the row, we did manage to have our intro before we actually get to, to the actual interview. Welcome to Contact Loss Podcast. If you are here, then probably that's by intention and not by mistake, so <laughs> welcome. Uh, this is your one-stop shop for competitive 40k content, uh, both in Poland and abroad. Um, we are now focusing very much on the abroad bit because uh, we have just come back from the W. Well, just we have come back from the WTC from covering it, and now we are heading to the LGT London Grand Tournament. So another huge event, probably the biggest singles event on this side of the pond, possibly in the world. We will see how well Zach was able to advertise it and how well the ticket sales have gone. Uh, but before we get there, before we get there in two weeks uh, time, uh, we are doing a series of interviews called the LGT's Lucky 7. So I did explain it in previous episodes. Apologies to everyone who has heard it many times already, but uh, any new listener deserves to know. So we are doing the series in which we uh, basically, the, the series revolves around the number seven because it's the seventh edition of the tournament. So we are doing the various kinds of top sevens. I pitch an idea to my guests, potential guests, and then they pick something of their liking. Uh, and we discuss it, and we discuss the LGT, and we discuss their 40k career. And that's what we are here to do today. Um, so without further ado, uh, let me introduce my guest. I don't know if you are familiar with him. But he is one of the unconquerables. He is Mr. 10 to 1, which I will explain in a moment. Um, he is Mr. I see a Wraith Knight, and I'll simply kill it with my demons, Mr. Will Whitaker. Hello, dude. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Right. Was that introduction spot on, or <laughs> did I invent uh, something? Yeah. I don't know. I think every time I've tried to kill a Wraith Knight, I've failed. So um, we'll see, but I did manage to win a couple of those games anyway. So, so I've heard, so I've heard. So uh, did you get that 10 to 1 reference or not really? Um, no, I don't know what that refers to. Right. It's odds for winning the so, uh, Conquerable. So the uh, organizer of the LGT, so Zach, runs his own podcast, which is called, uh, I think, What's New in 40K? Or something like that. And in one of the episodes, I mean, he, he's done a series of epi episodes leading to the LGT as well. And one of the things that he does, he does that before like major events. He invites a friend, I think, uh, who goes by the name of George, who is a professional bookie. And uh, the thing that he does, George, I mean, is he tries to estimate the odds of how likely it is for someone to win an event. And uh, when it came to you, he gave you the 10 to 1 odds. And now I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about that? Is that good? Is that bad? Is, that's, is that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. So for the, for the smaller, for the invitational tournament. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's what? There's, there, there's 24, 24 people playing. I yeah, think 25. I think. I, he, 25? I mentioned 25, yeah, which is weird because it's an odd number. But still, I think that's the actual number, but I might right. be mistaken. Well, still one in 10, 25. Yeah, I'll take those odds. Yeah, so I think he um, uh, he, he mentioned that uh, 
Myson, so part of Contact Lost and uh, part of uh, Team Poland uh, to the WTC. I think he was like six to one. And then mm. he said that probably Innis is most likely to win this or something like that. But still, 10 to one sounds very good. So yeah. where, where is I, that I, coming I never, from? For 10 uh -huh. to one, I would, I, would never, I would never, you know, go for a 10 to one play within a game of 40K, of course. So, you know, I would never actually stake anything on a 10 to one, but still. You're too, too modest. So uh, where is that coming from? Where is that 10 to one coming from? Like, what, what, what do you think could have gone into George's head? And <laughs> what is the reasoning behind such odds? Well, I think that partly, partly it's because my surname is Whitaker. And um, George absolutely loves my brother. And he thinks he's Daniel. Daniel, uh, Daniel played George a long time ago. And George has just been enamored ever since. And so I think that a lot of that, that affection for my brother has rubbed off on me. And right. um, I, did actually, I did actually listen to this podcast, um, the 10 to 1 one. I couldn't remember my own odds. But um, George said a lot of the predictions were based on the results of the data slate. And everyone thought Eldar was going down. But in fact, yeah. what actually happened was Thousand Sons went down. They went way down. So, um, yeah, so I've had to definitely swap fraction. And um, I think maybe that might affect those uh, 10 to 1 odds. If, if yeah, well, I wanted to say, for a professional bookie, his estimation of what was going to happen with the data slate was pretty atrocious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I think that's, that's the nature of bookies, isn't it? You know, they can't actually tell the future. Yeah, the, the the elder are going down. Custodies are going to be the new meta, and um, and, and yeah, thousand sounds are going to remain untouched. None of those were true. So. No. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, how does one become the un? That's I always have problems with pronouncing this unconquerable. How does one become part of that group and get well... invited into the invitational? Seven of the eight members in this uh, unconquerable G uh, little tournament all have gone 5 0 at, uh, at one of Zach's events this year. And I think probably it's one of the recent ones. So maybe like Leeds or, um, or the London Open or things like this mm -hmm. um, since 10th dropped and they've all been invited along. And then there was, Zach said there was this wild card slot that would just be um, done by popular demand. So I put my name forward for that and loads of people, um, yeah, I kind of got a snowball going and a lot more people commented on that post than I ever anticipated. And a lot without, you know, I didn't, I didn't beg for all of those, um, <laughs> all of those posts. So, yeah. So do you think that, 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 you know, that is partly on the back of your brother that, and again, the surname, or is it because you're well known in the community and, uh, and people just voted for you sincerely? Yeah. I don't think that was because of Daniel. I think that was, yeah, I do. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bad. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just haven't Never meant, a, meant that, yeah. All right, okay. So tell us, um, tell us what do you play with? Like, uh, I mean, I, I did mention uh, Chaos Demons because I yeah. heard that on one of the, on one of the podcasts. May, I, I think it might have been George that mentioned it or maybe yeah. Zach. Um, yeah, they did. And they now did. You, yeah. And you already so mentioned that you, you you would have to switch to a different army. So, uh, is chaos your kind of thing, or uh, chaos, yeah, tell us yeah. All about chaos it. is definitely what I I would feel most comfortable on chaos. And um, I, I my my highest accolade in the forty k community is I won best in chaos um, a few a couple of years ago. And so yeah, since then I've just always wanted to stick with chaos. Okay. Um, but I do play Tau as well, 
So now I'm in this heart-wrenching situation where, you know, I, my heart is telling me I, I should play Chaos because I've always played Chaos. But then Tao is sitting there just being just incredibly, incredibly attractive right now, right? So, um, yeah, you know, do I follow my head and maybe take some easier games and go Tao? Or do I think that I'm going to have, you know, more fun in my games and play what I kind of enjoy more and go Chaos? Because Chaos have always got this, they're always kind of the underdogs and, um, you know, in the lore and often on the tabletop as well. So it felt a bit wrong for them to be at the top with like Thousand Suns and even CSM right now are very strong, you know. So that doesn't feel, that's not that thematic for Chaos. So I think it's almost right to play Chaos when they're a little bit, you know, against the ropes. Yep, that's exactly it. So I, I'm actually not surprised. And I, yesterday when we were discussing like the, the armies that we will see at the LGT and potential armies that we will see at the Invitational, I suggested that uh, Chaos Space Marines are in a fairly good spot right now, but that was, again, coming off or coming from the uh, the results of the Polish team championships that took mm. place this, this last weekend, where Liam VSL, so one of the, I think, strongest players in the world, brought CSM and he brought home 100 points. Uh, from his yeah. five games, so it, it, it's only testament to, to 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 the fact that even though, as you said, usually CSM are the underdogs. Right now, they are quite powerful underdogs, definitely. They are, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that I would. I'm more drawn towards demons though than chaos space marines. If I were to play chaos, it's this. Well, I've submitted my list for the invitational, and it is. It's a demon list, and then I think I'd probably play something similar for the main event, if not. Okay. If not now. So I'm not going to ask you about your your list uh specifically just because uh i think that the list haven't haven't been um, released yet or like you know made made public uh but i wanted to ask you about your impressions uh, after the the data slate and what happened to demons because again uh i think it was mentioned in in zach's podcast that nothing would happen to the demons and then some some horrible stuff happened to the demons so how do you feel about it and uh, how much did it affect your list building well, there was this there was this moment um, in Ninth Edition, just after the Demon Book came out, where um, where all the big monsters got a nerf, and mm -hmm. what happened was there was this resurgence of the small monsters because they they tweaked it right, so they brought down the big monsters and encouraged you to play small demons, and um, and it worked really well. Everyone pivoted to small demons, or well, as I I definitely did, like I'd only take Bellacore and no no other big demons, and it worked. It was a very very strong list. Mm -hmm. Play the mission are much better. You've got more tools to play with, and that same thing has now happened. Where they, yeah, they've made some of these smaller demons who were, I mean, outrageously costed before, like Bloodletters being 160 points. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it was it was a joke, and now they're 140, and that's only 10 points more than they were pre 10. And so, I mean, c considering the premium that you pay for Malay now. I think that that's it's worth considering now, if definitely not an auto take. So I think that for demon lists, you well, I I've definitely am pivoting towards smaller demons, and I think that's probably the way to go following these uh this data slate. Mm. So uh, there is a, a thing that I can talk about because uh, the guy decided to go public with his list. I am an avid podcast listener, and I listen to like 
everything. So uh, there is this podcast that I strongly recommend uh, you you people in general listen to, which is the Six Plus 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 podcast run by Tom Lohman, and uh, he revealed his list. Like in the in the latest episode of, of his podcast, he said he is bringing Chaos Knights mixed with demons, and uh, uh, one of the, uh, the, the the demon part of the list will be a great unclean one. Uh, I think Nerglings for doing some missions and the Burning Chariot. Now, is that something that you would consider as well? Yeah, I understand what's going on there. So what the Burning Chariot does is it um, it stops, it shoots something, and then that thing can no longer take cover saves. So this mm-hmm. makes the low AP shooting on the armagers a lot more efficient. This is quite similar to an idea that I had for Thousand Suns, because Thousand Suns have a similar thing where they can turn off your armor saves. And suddenly armagers with their AP1 shooting you know, with, with against something that doesn't take armor saves, much more efficient. So it's yep. a similar idea, but then with the benefit of not having to play current thousand suns. Yeah. So it, it synergizes well with uh, with brigands, I guess. And I think Tom is bringing like I don't know six or I don't know if that's even like technically possible, but I know he is going to spam those some carnivores and so on. Sounds like a one hell of a list that he's definitely going to have fun with. Whether it's going to win the event, hard to tell. But it sounds like a fluffy and fun list. So looking forward to maybe facing that on the table. Um, Thank you. Tell, I, uh, by the way, Will, I don't, I think there is a little bit of lag. Um, so I don't know if you if you want to go with video or if we just want to go with audio. Uh, we can go, yeah, let's cut the video. That sounds good. Okay, yeah. So let's do that. Uh, I can cut my video as well. We can just leave it to the sound. So. All right, uh, let's do it like this. So um, let's talk a little bit about the LGT itself. Which edition of LGT will that be for you? Um, I think it's my third. Yes, this will be LGT number three. Okay, all right. So how have you done or how have you, how um, successful were you in the previous ones? And then, yeah, go on. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, yeah, I think I've gone four one at the other two as well. Um, but the first time I was, yeah, I wasn't, I think it was 2019, maybe, yeah, maybe before COVID, maybe not though, I can't remember. But anyway, I was not quite as, um, you know, I didn't take the game as seriously back then. And I definitely wasn't, you know, wasn't as well practiced. So, mm-hmm. um, so that one, I kind of got lucky. Um, I was playing Chaos Demons at the time. Yeah. And I managed to, managed to sneak through a 4-1 there. But, um, and then last year, um, it was a little bit of a kerfuffle because there was some uh, misinformation or or some error in communication where we thought it was random pairing. So um, it was absolutely like going for a hundreds. It's just like a bit of a laugh, you know. You can take some risks in your game and maybe get rewarded by a bigger score. Mm-hmm. But sadly, it, for us, we were misinformed, so it was not random, and that meant that having got three hundreds on day one. So at the end of day one, um, I was absolutely I was the top of the room. I had three hundred points, hadn't dropped a point yet. Had the LGT been an RTT, then I would have been walking home with the uh, with the trophy. But um, then next morning, I paired into Mike Porter on his Harlequin. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So who was also on a very high score. But I mean, that's to be expected when um, when scoring high. But one of the joys of LGT, one of its strengths, is that it's actually probably the best. If you're aiming for a five zero, the LGT is probably the best tournament to achieve that on, because your chance of meeting these other sharks out there is far diluted in an event like this than it is mm-hmm. at some of the other events so 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's definitely my ambition for this one. And All right. Something that I haven't done before. So, so make, what makes you what makes you want to come back to the LGT? Like, is there anything about the LGT that makes it stand out over? Because UKTC is such a well organized circuit that every event seems like the biggest event. Uh, every event seems like a Shark Tank filled with talent, filled with people who uh, you know, the, the, like the biggest names. Uh, how is the LGT different? I mean, you just have to walk into that room once to to know how different it is and what how it's just a totally different level. There's just an atmosphere in there as soon as you walk in, and, and it's fantastic. And I don't know, last year having been having because it was my return visit, it almost felt like coming home in a lot of ways. Like like you know, you walk back in that room and it just felt I'm back. You know, here we are again, and I'm looking forward to that feeling again this year. It's um. Yeah, it's, it's like it's all going to a festival, you know, when you were younger and maybe <laughs> you went to Leeds Fest every year or something. You'd just be like, oh, it's like it's an indescribable feeling. It's just an atmosphere when you walk in. It's great. Yeah, I, I can I can attest to that. Last year was my first time to an event of that scale. And to be perfectly honest, at the beginning, it was quite overwhelming. Like the the, 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 the noise of it all, like the, all the people playing, all the systems being played um, at the same time. But then something that absolutely left me in awe was like the, the sheer amount of celebrities, both like 40K celebrities, both playing and non-playing that, uh, that you can simply meet there. Like there was, um, you know, all, all the big names uh, from, from the UK were there including now yourself uh but also uh you know um uh i forget all the names uh rob from the honest war gamer was there uh duncan rhodes um uh, the thin tooth and coats was there uh, even people from from our podcast uh, had some took some photos with him so it's it's just an amazing experience altogether and, and definitely a place you want to be at when it happens so uh, listen, we met here to, to actually talk about uh, a certain top seven. Uh, which top seven did you pick? Which topic do you want to talk to us about? Yes, I chose um, the seven most impactful units following this data slate. So did you put them in any specific order or is it completely at random and we just go one by one? I have put them in order. I've put them in, yeah, I've ranked them from one to seven. It's a bit rough, you know, I think that there's probably, you know, it's by no means a, uh, a, comprehens a comprehensive list, but I think you'll definitely see these ones out there if you attend the event and you'll, you'll notice that they're, they're doing a lot for, uh, for the armies they're in. Yeah, so uh, essentially this series is meant to be both fun and informative. And let's remember it's your take. So, you know, uh, you have the right to, to pick whatever you want and give justification for it. Uh, and I'm just very curious, like which which uh, units did you pick? Because the ones that I've put on the on the teaser banner for this episode were chosen completely at random. So it, it, it might be that you won't <laughs> mention any of them. Uh, but yeah, yeah without further ado. Yeah, so let's uh, let's let's hear your number seven. What is um, placed there? Sure. Okay. So um, I we made this list together with my um, with my team, the Mind Goblins. Mm -hmm. We're um, and we sort of uh, yeah we brain uh, we just had came up with a few ideas about uh, what we might put in. Awesome. And yeah. So and then I've put them in an order. And so my seventh is the Calidus Assassin. I think that this little uh, this little piece 
even after she just took a nerf, right, supposedly, right? So she took that. She can no longer um, vect as many stratagems because, uh, yeah, so you can't vect Phantasm, things like this. But mm-hmm. um, rarely, she's also gotten a points decrease to, to you know, somehow they were aware of the fact that they've caused this nerf and they've reduced her points um, accordingly. But in fact, it's she has many, many talents and at 80 points or 85 points, whatever it is now, She's an absolute steal just because of the ability to um, to pick up at the end of your opponent's turn and mm-hmm. be deep strike. And being a lone op, it's very hard to actually um, actually take her out in an efficient way. So you'll find Elvis Assassins popping around the board all game long a lot of the time and just scoring um, secondary objectives um, way yeah, very efficiently. Okay, so... You see her in in multiple lists. You see, like all of the Imperium likes or seems to like to bring her. Uh, I today I was in one of the TTS leagues that I'm in. I was paired into Grey Knights that are bringing a Kalidus Assassin. It feels like Knights, uh, Imperial Knights, like to bring a Kalidus Assassin as well. So, for a very popular unit like this that has seen point drops in the data slate, how do you counter a unit like this? Do you even try? to counter a unit like this or do you just you know let her do her thing ignore her and go about playing the mission and doing other stuff well i'll tell you what i did uh yesterday in a practice game i charged the cowardice assassin made a nine inch charge with my uh with my hammerhead tower hammerhead and tank <laughs> shot her to death so that was the that's my cheeky uh cheeky suggestion just make a nine inch charge and then yeah roll a bunch of five ups and you'll, you'll kill a cowardice assassin no problem all right. Okay. That's. But, um, but in, a more, in, a, in a more serious note, I think that um, there is counterplay, right? People say she's a tiny model and she's really hard to screen against, but that's not true. Okay. You just make sure your nine inch screens go all the way to the corner instead of being like it's a big unit. You know, like we're now, we're used to screening against Gene Sealer Cult, um, uh, uh, Paladin squads, you know, these and even demons, right? We can all come in three inches away now. So our screen people are building these screens into their list. You can definitely just measure your nine inch screens, overlap that corner. The cowardess can't sneak back behind you. And then yeah, and that's that's the way to play around it. All right. Okay. Uh do you feel that her value dropped significantly because of uh, the change to the stratagems that she can potentially vect? Or uh Will we still still see her in every list of the Imperium? I think that she has gone up in value because she has gotten cheaper. So you get you get more for your money now. I think. All right, that's an interesting take. Let me. I'll try to uh, put a slide on the screen so that we can uh, have those. Uh, give me a sec. Like this. Like this. Is it working? Yes, it's working. So yes. number seven, we have the color of this assassin. Awesome. Uh, right. What would be your number six then? Okay. Well, um, these bottom two I chose because they're both um, really strong mission playing tools. And so the Kalos assassin brings mission playing to armies that maybe lack it, like um, units that spare, you don't have spare units to go do all your, um, all your secondaries. And this next one's the same, but while the Caladus can go for all of the Imperium, sadly this one is only for Tyranids, but I think that it's better at its job. So I have put it above the Caladus. And that is the Biovore. 
Mm, interesting. All right. Explain. <laughs> well, um, so the biovore shoots out its little, um, its uh, what's it called? Its little spore mine. The mine, and, yeah. Yeah, I believe it's changed now. So it's, it's perhaps now a stratagem. It used to be that you could have two biovores shooting out two spore mines. But for whatever reason now, maybe it's a once per phase action or something. But I'm now I now believe that it's only one spore mine a turn. But a lot of the time, one spore mine is all you need. So it's doing a very similar thing to the Calidus Assassin, where it's putting a tiny um, piece. You know, it's only it's, a, it's the smallest base size there is, and it just squeezes somewhere on the board and doesn't act. So um, you know, it's 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 shooting into your opponent's corner for that that secondary where you have to be in the corners within nine of the corners. You know, it can sneak that. So Tyranids can very easily get six or even eight on that sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. It's great for behind enemy lines. It can um, it can deploy teleport Homer. Can do all these things. Um, it does have limitations, however, because it is OC zero. So if you're ever against a Tyranid player who tries to use it to cleanse objective in the midboard, you're like, whoa, 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 mate! I don't think you own that objective with just the spore mine. So you have to watch out that it is limited. But on top of that, it actually has it has rules as well, right? You know, it could just be a piece that says this unit does nothing but achieves actions and it would be uh, basically as valuable as it is now. But instead, it has extra rules. Like, you're not allowed to... It can come arrive near you and then your units aren't allowed to advance near it. And it's like, mm-hmm. that. it's so good for just controlling an area of the board. This was like... Um, I, my eyes were open to this um, in my game. I played um, Nathan Roberts at the end of Goom at the last round. Yeah, I think it was the biovores and my lack of understanding of them up to that point that really um, that really won that game for him. They were just, yeah, they just scored him so many points and they were controlling my army in a, just such a non-committal way, right? Like if I want to move block you, I have to send a 70-point unit of, um, of flesh hounds out and that unit is dead. Whereas the biovore and even with the Cal- it's the same with the Calidus assassin, right? She goes out to do her, do her objectives and sure hard to kill but she's still at risk the bible is never at risk it's just shooting out a little spore mine that if you do come close to it just does you know does a mortal wound to you for its, for its trouble mm-hmm. and then it goes along its merry way yeah but in the past you used to bring a couple uh you used to bring a couple of, of biovores now i guess people advise to bring just one do you think that uh, we will see biovores dropping from tyranids list completely because i don't know maybe uh more valuable units are there and are worth bringing or is that like a, a staple now that is going to to, to, um, to be in absolutely every turned list i'm not sure i don't think it'll be in every turned list right you could it depends what you're going for i bet there's some bully turned lists that really don't want to um play the mission like that they want to just come threat overload you and and this is points spent maybe in the not the right place for that kind of list but um for any slower list uh, i'm not i'm not 100 sure how efficient tyranids are at scoring the secondaries without this tool but i see it as a very strong tool certainly i mm-hmm. would put it into lists that i write just because you know people say you know where's the balance between uh points you want to spend punching your opponent in the face and points you want to spend on playing the mission and this certainly does a lot for its points, right? You're going to get a lot of mission play out of this one piece. So you can, that frees up more for damage dealing or, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, the, the, no discussion there. I play Tyranids from time to time. I have a Biovore in every of my lists. Uh, I tend to pick fixed secondaries fairly frequently uh, just because they are so reliable, just because you can do all this junk that you described with slowing the opponent, but also scoring behind enemy lines and, and doing actions, which I think Tyranid players were extremely afraid of, uh, that it would get nerfed in the balanced data slate, but it didn't. Um, and it didn't get nerfed very much in um, in the Codex either. So uh, yeah, happy days for Tyranid players, and uh, we'll see how they fare at major events. Uh, what's next on your list? Next, for number five, are uh... Now we've gone we've gone from mission play here and we're moving on to um just really strong units really just for winning the game in other ways. And this one is the Deathwing Knights that I'm sure everyone has heard about. So these guys are um they're just terminators for the Dark Angels, but um obviously Dark Angels are people don't play them as, you know, the Dark Angels sub subsept or whatever you you know, the chapter Dark Angels, mm-hmm. they just play them as the basic Space Marine, because, you know, people like to win more than they like to be thematic, I think. Which is, you know, I can't complain about that. Um, <laughs> so they, yeah, so they run these knights, and they have four wounds apiece, because they're storm shields, I think. And they have T5, four up in Vuln, and minus one damage innately. And this is really strong, because lots of stuff, I mean, minus damage has kind of slipped away a lot in the meta, and so two damage, two damage weapons have made a resurgence so i mean even from my experience of playing thousand suns magnus having minus one damage uh in a lot of cases just doubled his durability if you're thinking about things like gsc with their um their bomb satchels that they throw they get mm-hmm. a load of damage two shots you know it's like they're gonna have to actually commit twice as many just to uh, take you out and on top of this there's just with 10 of them there's it's a limit where basically nothing can guarantee the one tap on these things and um you know no spoilers but i think one of the most powerful units in the game right now is probably a crisis unit um fully buffed up and it barely puts a dent on deathwing knights um with the traditional one because yeah strength eight two damage ap2 you know you pop armor contempt on those guys then um they get back to wounding on threes versus these super powerful weapons and yeah and then you know you'd be happy if you kill three a lot of the time and there's ten, there's seven more. And how many, how many do they really need to um, to threaten you back? I think mm-hmm. even four is a pretty pretty reasonable melee threat. They've got four attacks each. I think they hit on they hit on twos. There, yeah, there. And and remember, they've got that access to the um, the once per game feel no pain four plus feel no pain against mortal wounds. Just in case you thought you were going to bypass their saves that way. Nope, <laughs> we're going to tank that too. Yeah, they're a very they're a very strong unit, and they really they're a real anchor. I think space marines can build around these days. Um, just, you know. So how do you people actually um, play them? Uh, so what to expect when when you face a space marine or dark angels army? Do you do do they come in a land raider or do do they deep strike? Like what what is the optimal tactic to use them? I think that the best way is you know somewhere in between um, threats and actuality. Okay, so they want to slowly walk towards the middle of the board but that doesn't mean run them forward and put them in the middle out in the open for nothing right you want to get them in definitely the lgt right we've got those bunkers near the middle of the board now 
if they can make the gap, if they roll the five on the advance and they can make that jump um, into that bunker from your ruin, then great, do that kind of thing. If not, then yeah, maybe have them hide behind that ruin now that it's obscuring or, you know, pick your pick your moment. Okay, so while it is durable, I think I think what I'm talking about here is the wrong way to play them. And that is to just lean into that durability and shove mm-hmm. them forward because sure, no one unit can take out this unit but an army can take out this unit, right? If you're looking at three units of crisis or, or a Tau gun line, the whole Tau gun line, then yeah, the Deathwing Knights are going to fall. So the way you're going to see them normally, I think, if um, is played in a sort of way where they, they, they pick their corners, they creep up the board hiding, and then they give you that one moment where, where they split your army, where everything comes out, all the Marines, you know, you've got the aggressors over here, maybe in a Redeemer Land Raider or something, Mm-hmm. And you've got whatever melee threat they might have pushing the other side. And then at the same time, you've got to deal with this Deathwing unit that's just towed onto the middle. And um, it's then from there, because of the access to advance and charge, has this really quite large threat circle coming out from it. And so you've got one one shot to try and, um, you know, cripple the unit or control it in some way. And... Um, yeah, and often if your choice is to cripple it, then it's a dice game, right? And I mean, no one likes to go against people rolling four ups, but with the minus one damage, yeah. I mean, in yeah, my experience, I, yeah, mm-hmm. they would say that they just live. Yeah, so so uh, this sort of uh, segues into my next question about this particular unit. Do you actually try to, you know, tackle it uh, like head on, or do you try to play around it? Like if if they go to the center of the of the table, do you actually try to storm that center of the table, storm that castle, and you know put a dent in them, or do you play uh, the rest? Of, you know, for primary game, do you do you try to maybe uh, take hold of the other primary objectives and just leave that to them because probably they are not going anywhere? Or is there any other specific tactic or maybe unit that could be used against them? I, I can think of a couple, but I'll let you go first. Sure. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, I think control is definitely what you want here, right? You don't. You never want to rely on on killing a tough unit like this. Um, some armies can do it. You know, that's built into the list. And if if you're in a position on the board where you have the damage free, you can you can apply all your damage to the unit. Then go for it because that's a win condition. If you can take out this unit, then you probably just roll over the rest of the Dark Angels army. But for most armies it's going to be a case of slowly bleeding out resources in order to control the unit whether that means you know move blocking or mm-hmm. uh, one thing to do is to put out like a tasty a tasty treat for for the dark angels for the deathwing knights so on one side of the board right so they're in the middle if it's a five objective mission you could put one of your valuable units over on the bottom objective and maybe, you know, get, get a, a trade there, but maybe it's a trade down. And then what you're doing is you're tempting the Deathwing Knights to, to come over here. And then, mm-hmm. sure, you lose that unit. But then what you've got is the Deathwing Knights over on one side of the board. And you can, if you're a fast army, you can pivot to the other side. And then you're like, great, I don't have to deal with that problem. Sure, I've lost something juicy, but I've got the rest of my army. And maybe that's enough to pull back primary. So what I was thinking of, and again, some armies have access to tools like this, some don't, but I immediately uh, jump in my thoughts uh, to the conversation I had with Skarik, so one of the uh, Polish uh, players from the WTC, 
who was playing guard and uh oh, so imperial guard and uh, i i recall him mentioning that uh when he was playing necrons necrons who were running uh two lich guard blobs which I see a, a, a potential analogy between the Lich Guard and the, the Deathwing Knights. Uh, he said that what 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 he did was use units that allow you to like have the movement uh, or like slow down um, the 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 unit that was the the actual threat. So in one of his games, he sh I can't remember which maybe it was a Medusa or, or something, but he shot that into the Lich Guard blob. And he said that the the Lich Guard were never able to actually reach um, an objective marker throughout the entire game, just because that he was able to so efficiently slow them down. So I think you know Space Marines have their Thunderfire cannons that that allow you to do this. Uh, Tyranids have their Barbagants that allow you to do this. So I think that might be one of the viable tactics to uh, to, to to tackle units like this, those monsters that you don't really want to get into combat with, that you don't want to waste your shots on just make them walk th throughout the entire game. Yeah, I 100% agree. You've got like the Night Spinner with Eldar, or as we, you know, that turns off your advance roll as well. Or the, the friendly Biovore that we've mentioned, who exactly. really can't advance near him. Yeah. Does Tau have any tools to tackle them in that way, or uh, not, 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 not so much? Um, You know, I don't know off the top of my head. I haven't come across it myself. Um, I know demons do. They've got a very unreliable one in the shape of the um, the exalted flamer of Siege. Mm. He can he ha he shoots something, and then you have to roll a four up, and then their movement is half or minus two or something, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, maybe Tau do. I don't know. I haven't dug deep enough in Tau yet. I just saw the fair crisis enough. and was like, there we go. All right, that's fair. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I agree with the number five. Uh, a, a tough nut to crack. Um, whether you're, you know, uh, I mean, every time you, you, you face a unit like this, I, I remember that I think Leshu from Team Poland brought them to the WTC, and again, they were a tough nut to crack even for Manny and his Eldar, so um, yeah, totally agree. Uh, what's up there at number four? Okay, so I've got uh, number four and number three kind of come as a, as a duo, um, but we'll, we will touch on them separately, and I think that's because... Um, Four kind of maybe wants to be when we wants to be higher, but um, three is really standing in its way. So, but four we've got the the Necron warriors. I'm somehow somehow not surprised, but again, explain to our listeners. Maybe there is someone who does not follow the meta or follows, but still hasn't had the opportunity to play against Necrons. Yeah. Would you be able to explain why you place them? so highly absolutely right so what you've got here you know it's necron warriors but it's in fact a quite a menagerie of uh, metallic skeletons because you've got um the unit will always look the same it'll have there's some varieties of it but mainly it'll have a necron warrior the 20 necron warriors it'll have a buff piece to give them all a five plus feel no pain and then it'll also which is a character and then it'll also have these two um i can't remember what they're called they're not flayed ones i just remember the name uh, I'm not that good with Necrons. I know what you're talking no. about, Crypto Thralls. Crypto Thralls, there we go, yeah. So you've got these two Crypto Thralls, and so they're two wounds each, and they have a four up feel no pain. And the way it works is that 
Um, if you have a lord, you definitely used to have a lord in the unit as well, because that would allow you to res in both command phases. But that I'm not sure if that is a strategy, a stratagem that then suffered a nerf with this. Um, you know, I'm not sure you can double down on the stratagem if it's if it's a battle tactic stratagem. I'll have to have a look into that. But anyway, you can definitely at least res um, for once in the in when you're being attacked. So you've got these twenty Necron warriors. Um, with a fire up feel no pain. So it doesn't sound that bad, except that you've also got these four wounds with a four up feel no pain that can sometimes just tank for days. And when they die, and after you've finished activating one unit to shoot this unit, they pop a stratagem that brings like D6 plus three back or something. And that includes the two crypto thralls that are the tankiest front shield, meat shield in front of the rest of the unit. So let's say you've killed two crypto thralls and like five Necron warriors. They roll well. I don't know how many it is, but it seems like they get all of them back and then a couple more. That's what it feels like. It feels <laughs> like the units, yeah. So that's uh, part of the story. I, I'm not sure if the data slate has changed anything about them. But again, I, I strongly recommend to any of our listeners to go, especially before attending any major events where you might face Necrons, go and listen to our masterclass that we published over the weekend uh, with Gitto, so another uh, Polish national team um, a player, uh, who analyzed both Liam Hackett's list from uh, the WTC and his own list and compared them. And he also explained all the crazy stuff that you can do with Necron Warriors, one of them being, and again, I, I, I'm not sure if that has changed, but I don't believe it has. If you bring a, com um, a command barge uh, with you, that actually has a messed up wording that allows you to resurrect Necron Warriors in any phase. Meaning, if you get tank-shocked in someone's charge phase and some Necron Warriors die, it allows you to bring them back. If you get shot in Overwatch in your movement phase as a Necron player, the command barge still allows you to bring them back. So there are like so many instances where you can bring them back that it seems that the unit is nigh unkillable. So yeah, absolutely something to to gear up against. Uh, do you think that this that we're going to see that happen at the LGT? That people have figured out the Necron Warrior blobs uh, and what they do? And do you think that people will come prepared? Uh, yes, I think people always come prepared, but um, I think that certainly closer to the top, you'll realize that the Necron Warriors have a real weakness, and that is to being, you know, they're, they're a gatekeeper unit. So if you're against MSU, then they just can tank it all day and they'll, they'll, they'll stay, they'll have the same number of Necron Warriors after the dust clears. But if you've got, if you can wipe them with one activation, then all of their defense totally crumbles because like sure they've got they've, they've, there's 20 wounds or whatever it is 26 wounds or whatever but um most of them only have the four up save and the five up feel no pain so if you have damage that can get rid of all of that then the unit just collapses and no, none of those like the command barges you mentioned and all those strats and stuff that you've invested in you've got your point there paid for assuming that you'll get a chance to use them all of those points are wasted because the warrior unit just falls over and, and you know you can't res a dead unit unless you're crypto thought for some reason yeah the problem with that is that you usually have two units of those, so you need to tackle both of them and uh 
and and if one is geared up to be very defensive, like with the invulnerable, say from Orican, I guess, and uh, and maybe a female pain or something, then the other one uh, will probably have uh, a veil that will allow the whole blob to actually travel around the table uh, as you want and just drop whenever the the, the the pilot wants them to. So overall, it's a unit that that gives the Necron player a huge advantage. And if they if they want to bring if they want to follow one of the archetypes, where they for example have this very strong shooty backline with uh, like uh, destroyers and command uh, sorry not command barges but like the doomsday arcs and so on, then even if you engage the the Necron warriors per se. Sooner or later, they will just wipe you with their shooting. So it's it's really difficult to come well prepared against the Necrons, I think. I agree. I think also it pairs really... Um, they they synergize really well in the meta with the Deathwing Knights, okay? Because the Deathwing Knights are susceptible to attrition. You can just kill two or three, one or two, let's be honest, one or two a turn, and you'll get them down so it's a much less effective unit. Whereas the Necrons are immune to attrition. So mm -hmm. the big units that will one-tap the Necrons will do inefficient damage to the Deathwing Knights. And so it makes it quite hard list building for everyone else when they have to, when they know they're going to be coming up against both of these threats. Yeah. And one thing of note as well, like if you think that you're, if you're running Deathwing Knights and if you think that you, you know, you charge the Necron Warriors and even if you don't kill them, at least you get used to steal the objective from them. Uh, uh uh they have what two OC, so that's like yeah. forty OC. And then if you bring a command barge and put it, you know, in the vicinity, it gives them one more OC. Which is like if you put all twenty on an objective that's sixty OC. I don't think there's anything that can top that. I mean by my count you only need four Necron Warriors to out OC an entire unit of Deathwing Knights at that pretty, point. Pretty much. Yeah, in those in those circumstances, absolutely. So um, again, it speaks volume speaks volumes, and then you can wa have way more than four on that objective. So uh, not an easy one, not an easy one. I'm already like, you know, afraid of what you put in three, two, and one, uh, or places three, two, and one. So yeah, let's move on. What what's in number three? Okay, so I've got my number three. Um, yeah, I, it, I mentioned before it links closely with number four. Because I believe this to be the absolute counter to the Necron Warrior in the meta right now. And that is um, Crisis Suits from Tav. Again, I'm somehow not surprised. <laughs> but yeah. tell us all about them. Again, uh, what can an unexpecting player expect <laughs> at a major event when he faces Tau? Tau, new kid on the block, I would say, in terms of uh, before the balance data slate. Only the bravest of teams, I guess, would bring it to the WTC. Uh, not a very popular army, uh, pre-data slate, post-data slate with major points drops and so on. Uh, suddenly, many people are talking about it, uh, about that army. So uh, what makes the crisis suit your number three? Well, I mean, you only have to... You, it's, it's, a, it's a magical thing, this crisis unit, and you can't... You have to see it to believe it, okay? So it used to be that Crisis Suits um, got steadily more expensive if you spammed the same gun. So if you took three of the Psychic Iron Blaster, which is the all-comer decent gun, then it would be probably like just shy of 100 points for each Crisis. And now it's 60 points for a Crisis, no matter what their weapon loadout is. 
Mm-hmm. So obviously everyone takes the most efficient, which is, as mentioned, these cyclics. And so what this means is every single crisis model in the unit has nine strength eight AP2 damage two shots. And that's, you know, and there's six in the unit plus a commander. So we're looking at 54 shots from the base guys and then another 12 from the commander with slightly more efficient shooting. And um, that's already, you know, <laughs> that is already quite quite a powerful unit mm-hmm. but then the buffs just keep coming so with tau you've got the marker light system so you like pair up and um your unit gets plus one to hit so then they're hitting on threes and then if you mark light it with a tetra then they're going to be hitting on um, then going to be re-rolling so threes re-rolling um or alternatively you can spot with a um unit of stealth suits and that gives them re-roll ones to wound instead and then put shadowson near them so then you're hitting on threes, rolling ones. And then when you come to the wound roll, you reroll ones. That's also very efficient. Not quite as efficient, I think. And that's because of the final rule, which is you get double exploding sixes if it's round two onwards with the correct, um, with the correct commander loadout. From about around two onwards, every six is two extra hits. And so at that point, you, um, the best thing to do is just to reroll all your dice you roll however many sixes you roll in the first 54, you re-roll all of them. Mm. And math says you'll end up with, I think it's 72 hits from those 54. And that's <laughs> insane. Yeah. And that's strength eight, AP two, damage two, and it ignores cover on top of that. And if it is about around three, then you can also pop a strat to be AP three, plus one AP. But you have to be within nine inches for that. So, I mean, it comes up comes up sometimes but it's quite you know be careful there are limitations on that strap but still right so if you have a look at our previous veteran of the Necron warrior what they don't want is to have have to take 72 hits from a strength eight weapon which is then wounding them on twos and they get a six up save in response so by maths i think that kills you know let's say the crypto thrall by some miracle tanks 20 more 20 wounds with his um with his fort feel no pain which can happen it can happen so he's like oh you're rolling really well there buddy geez this might not get through and then right 20 wounds later he starts rolling the saves on his warriors and nope still gets through don't worry about it <laughs> all those necron warriors i think it kills 40 maybe maybe 35 yeah, I think the Necron Warriors can get like an invulnerable save uh, from Orican the Diviner or something. So that makes it that much difficult uh, to, to, to kill them. But at the same yeah, time... Yeah, I think maybe at that point you would actually have to fire the commander. You'd have to probably yeah, roll those dice. But, uh, again, uh, according to Gitto, even if you have that, uh, Crisis Suit is something that you simply don't want to face as Necrons. Uh, and even he admits that. that like, it's It's... It's an uneven matchup if if the crises are left alone and allowed to shoot at the Necron warriors. Sooner or later, uh, they will put a dent in the unit or like wipe it completely. So so I agree. And I like Necron warriors right now. I think are regarded as the the most resilient unit in the game. Uh, is there anything that could withstand that barrage of fire, or is it just you know that sort of point and click game where the, the the tau player just points in something and you you don't ask questions you just remove it uh yeah there is something that can withstand that fire and those are deathwing knights which i think that entire unit will kill two or three deathwing knights that's 
crazy. It's disgusting. Again. I know. Yeah, because they, wo- they wound on they wound on threes instead of twees. Um, yeah, definitely has Fox armor of contempt, so he's saving on threes, and he's got four wounds apiece, and it's from damage two down to damage one. So yeah, I think you'd be lucky to get twelve wounds through there and kill three Deathrune knights. I mean, yeah, maybe the, you spike mm-hmm. up. Probably, maybe you kill six, right? Like if with a good roll and the Deathrune knight. Uh, fluffs his saves a bit maybe you're killing five or six but honestly i like i've shot it and i've killed two i've shot it and i've killed one and so it's like you know you don't you don't want to do that as the tower player yep You'd sorry i just be facing the necron warriors that's for sure yeah i just needed to close the window because there was i don't know if it's something flying or driving by but it's it, like a noisy piece of crap uh so uh, coming back to the crisis suit uh a disgusting unit uh and they get the advantage that if the, the Deathwing Knights are walking towards them, they get a couple of turns of shooting at them. So um, unless the SM player, the, the A player, does something to, to tackle them, which leads to my next question, uh, then, yeah, poor Deathwing Knights. Is there anything that can actually, uh, you know, overwhelm the Crisis uh, suits? Is there anything, yeah. any sort of tactic that you could recommend to our listeners to actually... Um, sort of tackle them well uh, if you do have every time the crisis suits overcharge they do they do blow themselves up as well which is really funny so you just um, need to wait <laughs> so you just yeah but i mean you wait and you hope you still have an army you hope that the tower player just says he's going to overcharge every time he shoots and then yeah like overwatches and overcharges everything yeah that would be that would be ideal but in um in a in a closer game um i think that yeah they do have weaknesses of uh, their, their main defense is uh, strike and fade. So that's, they get to the classic thing where they shoot and then they move away. Um, but it's two CP, so it's quite pricey. And, you know, so that can be, they can't do that all the time. They can, mm-hmm. I mean, if they can do it technically every turn, but that would um, mean they're not doing anything else and not using any of the strats for anything else. And I think that's probably not what the Tau player wants. Um, but if you do, I mean, if you give it to them, if you just feed them one unit at a time and let the crisis unit jump, shoot, jump, kill that one unit, then yeah, you're going to have a bad time. Um, I think the ways around it are understanding that this unit is really quite squishy. It doesn't, it doesn't look like a glass cannon because there's a lot of wounds there, mm. but it's only toughness five. It's only got a three up save. Sure, it's got a four up invuln and the six wounds a model. But that's not in in a world of Necron Warriors and Deathwing Knights. They're really not that tanky. So if you get your shots into them, then you'll find that they crumble real fast. And so you know, like what's really good at killing Crisis Suits is is an opposing unit of Crisis Suits because that will that will one tap a Crisis Suit unit. Mm. I'm still. I mean. Uh... I'm pitching this to different people, but so far no one has picked up on this top seven. But I think it would make for an interesting episode of the top seven like misjudged units uh, looking through the lens of ninth edition. Because Crisis in ninth edition were not only a shooty threat, but they were also quite resilient because of their drones and I think a two-up save and, and so on and so on. I remember that to me... They were they 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 had always been a nightmare. Uh, now, as you said, it, they are a little bit of a glass cannon. They definitely can be ki- can be killed. Um, you just you just need to hide well, and that's it. Or bring exactly. the knights. Yeah, simple. There's as. also there's also there's a weakness inherently built into Tau, 
and it comes from the power of these crisis suits in that they give up bring it down um just extremely easily i mean off, often when vehicles you're, now because everything is a vehicle so they can't go through walls so remember that so they're not as mobile as they might appear to be they're much squishier and they give up bring it down so passively you'll play against tau and you'll get at least six to eight points and bring it down from them blowing themselves up and then at that point you only have to kill another whatever another like six six <laughs> crisis units and um six crisis models sorry models mm-hmm. or a piranha or two you know one of those units of tetras that's four points like you're gonna max bring it down you're gonna get your 20 points there and um that's that's the way that's the weakness of tau is that they, there is a time there is a clock on the tau player he needs to let they need to leverage this um firepower that they've got and they certainly have it but they really need to leverage it into primary control and or even a tabling right and that's that's how tau want to play the game right now so if you can weather that storm then chances are you will be up on secondaries that's pretty cool insight, and yep, I appreciate it. So before we get to number two, just uh, I'll, I'll do a couple of quick announcements, and those are, first of all, uh, thank you to anyone who is watching us live right now, uh, and thank you to anyone who is listening to this after the recording is done. So either via any um, podcasting media like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but also thank you for re-watching this on YouTube. Uh, we do this for you. And uh, yeah, we would appreciate a, a subscribe, a like, and so on. On Thursday, we are recording, I think, sorry, tomorrow. I don't know if that's going to be live or if that's going to be recorded, but I know that Joker is uh, is recording an episode with Kyle Grundy. So uh if we announce it as live, yeah, I'll, I'll make a teaser for that. So make sure that you tune in to listen to what Kyle has to say, probably also about Tau. Um, but if it's recorded, then it's going to appear on, on our channel. So again, press that subscribe, press that uh, bell button to get the latest notification as soon as the, as the episode drops uh, for your viewing pleasure so that you stay notified about everything that we do. Uh, and also do consider becoming a patron. Uh, because with that, you get uh, early access to our masterclasses, like the ones that we've published uh, last weekend. So uh, two of them dropped at the same time, uh, one with Gitto and his Necrons, and the second one with uh, Pumbaa and his Thousand Sons. And even though both of them were recorded like right after the WTC, so pre-data slate, there is still a ton of merit in those recordings. I think the Gitto one lasts like two and a half hours or something like this, uh, but it's a joy to listen to because there is so much insight. It's just unbelievable how much information you can pack in that time. So uh, so yeah, so if you want to get early access to that or some awesome gadgets or just become part of our Discord community, please consider becoming a patron. Um, on Thursday, we are recording another uh, live episode with uh, Mani Chima and Ed Watts, so two people from uh, from Team Glasshammer. So again, uh, book some time, make sure you join us, make sure you have your notifications on because it will be a hell of an episode uh, as well. And now we're going back to Will. Will, what is your number two? Um, yeah, I just want to say that yeah, definitely. Whenever whenever Kyle Gundy talks about Tau, I definitely I definitely listen. So you should definitely check out that podcast. That's going to be great. I'm going to be listening. Cool. Okay. So we have some some interesting guesses from, from our listeners in the chat. Like two Night Spinner, one Incarn. Let's see. What is your number two? Well, hmm, yeah. Uh, no spoilers. But um, my number two is neither of those. My number two is um, really it's a, it's a placeholder for, for a type of unit. And this is, I think, just one of the most impactful ones right now. One of the, it, it really enables its faction. And that is the orc truck. 
Wow. Okay. I definitely didn't expect that. <laughs> okay. So my reasoning here is that really the orc truck is, is basically um, talking about transports in general and them being just such a powerful tool in the current um, climate, especially when you're considering these um, these crisis suits or these Deathwing knights and these you know these these powerful units mm. um, that only get they only get the one they only get the one hit. Okay, so if you if you've got a juicy unit hiding inside a transport, then all these powerful powerful guns can do is open up that transport, and then your juicy unit is still alive. Um, so this is, yeah, and I just don't think, you know, a faction like Orcs lives and breathes off of the power of its, um, of the, of their trucks, because once they're out, they're, um, they're just sitting ducks, you know, they don't, they don't have any of this durability, and honestly, they don't have the output of these other, um, of these other armies, other than by sheer numbers of bodies alone, but even then, like, crisis suits love, love loads of bodies, because of their 54 shots, 72 hits, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, they they uh, it's a it's a faction reliant on one data data sheet really, and I would say that is the truck, and it's true of many factions. Let's say you know, um, corn berserkers with their rhinos, or um, I mean I don't know how are Votan doing these days. They they still they still go in their land fortresses. I but think the, with um, you know a land fortress costing the two hundred and twenty points or two hundred and thirty points, I think, you know, they're gonna bring three. <laughs> they're gonna be in, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well they're like the lander in a redeemer, I've been seeing that one about, right? That's a that's a very strong transport these days. And, you know, primarily it's because of the aggressors that are hiding inside, rather than those um pretty obnoxious Overwatch flamers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that transports, I mean people like the, the people talk about activation lock, right? That's what we're talking about here. And I think it's a, it's a very powerful tool and one that everyone should be prepared to use in their arsenal. Um, you know, like you park, a, you park your transport by a wall. They, it's, just, it's just very hard to attack any transport by any wall for any army. You're just like, oh, I have to put units on both sides. Honestly, it's like playing against Eldar. You have to like think of all the places where they can phantasm and, oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, so yeah. Want... Sorry, go on. No, sorry, sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, so I wanted to say uh, it, it is not just that transports usually allow those slower armies, like I don't know, take Death Guard for example, so one of my favorites, uh, it actually allows them to move around the table, which is you know with their typical four to five inches of movement. That's something that they are definitely yearning for. Uh, so 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 that uh, you said of what was the expression again? Activation lock, right? I think that's uh, something that. Innis Wilson popularized not so long ago with Death Guard because he took them to a tournament. He took a Land Raider. He took like a bunch of um, characters that just sat in the Land Raider at, at the right moment. They just jumped out, and the opponent had to figure out like in what order to shoot, what to kill first. And usually there wasn't enough shooting because those characters were quite resilient. So that is absolutely amazing. And then uh, we could see how successful lists full of transports can be at the WTC, I think the American Orc list uh, that had, you know, six trucks or something like that filled to the brim with boys and other units. Uh, again, you, you, even if you kill the truck, uh, there, there is still a bunch of, of bodies inside, uh, some idiots to, to stand on objectives and so on. And you just don't, with, with such huge target saturation, you just don't know what to point your finger at first. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I understand why why you're leaning towards like the whole unit archetype and not just the truck itself, but uh, the truck probably the one uh, that comes to mind first. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to, um, I was, I was also going to use the Death Guard Rhino one because that does actually look very interesting right now. But I think that even with those points drops, I think orcs are still, you know, the stronger faction. So I wanted it to be the orc truck that was up here at, um, mm-hmm. up here at number two. Yeah, uh, the Death Guard Rhino also a valid point, especially if you like put, I don't know, two foul blight spawns inside or something else with a flamer. Then out of nowhere, this becomes like a, you know, a deadly wagon that that just rides around the table and then flames everything to death and is good with uh overwatch and actually now also has contagions in 10th edition because that wasn't the case mm. in 9th edition so it has so many um yeah. applications it's just you know uh beyond comprehension it's a it's a budget it's a budget with land raider redeemer at that point yeah exactly very much so okay now for the big number one what would that be Okay, yeah. So we do. I do have a number one. Before I start, I did pick one other side side one, which is um, which is the unit that has the most impact in any game. That I arrive at the table and see that my opponent has this unit, then it's like I uh, it has a, a very big impact on me at the tabletop for sure. Um, and so I'm just going to touch on that one first. So that's, a, uh-huh. that's the, this is the bonus one before we get to number one. And um, special mention, <laughs> special mention to the Incarn because it is the biggest headache to play against of, of any unit in the game. I know what you mean, especially in 10th edition, because the rules are well, the rules help it a lot being able to charge after it. Um, yeah, there's no counterplay now. Yeah, I, I pretty it, much it, honestly, though, like I think it may have got easier to play against now because. Back when there was counterplay, that just meant you had to counterplay, and that was it. Was always extremely tricky to like to like wall off every unit you were trying to kill so that the Incarn couldn't arrive. So now at least you're just like, oh, they've they've killed one of my small trap units near my home objective, and my favorite character is standing there in the backfield holding that objective. Oh, well, now there's an Incarn there, and he's dead. Oh well. <laughs> That's exactly how it happens. Um, I mean, and yeah, as you said, there there is hardly any counterplay apart from maybe trying to screen, but you cannot really screen very efficiently against that as, as well. So um, because yeah, it needs a... to appear as close to the dead model as possible, right? I think that's the ruling. That's right. Yeah. So you, it, there is counterplay. Um, it's just it's not the traditional screening where your unit kind of blocks out an area. What you have to do is you have to like bubble wrap your um, your precious stuff. So let's you have, you know, for, for the, the Thousand Suns example, I had a unit of Sangors. I'd have all my characters, um, they'd all stand inside, like surrounded by this unit of Sangors, so that if the Incarn arrived nearby, then it couldn't, um, it couldn't charge the characters, it mm-hmm. could only charge this trash unit, right? So this is, this is replicatable in loads of different lists. And so, you, or, and, and the much easier way is have something that's like a, deep strike deny bubble like infiltrators can't arrive within 12 mm. that works on the incarn sorry mate can't jump here yeah well, actually infiltrators is something that i haven't thought about but yeah that, that's a valid point so as long as you have them in the right spot uh then absolutely unfortunately yeah, because, because you, could, yeah, yeah. you could accidentally give the incarn exactly the movement it wants right because mm-hmm. it's still allowed to be placed it's just placed as close as possible so it gets pushed outside that 12 bubble and it's like oh uh, thanks you may be, you know i can in fact now go directly on your objective that's that's the closest point cheers mate yeah and it's it's, it's especially uh taxing to play against it 
because Eldar usually bring a plethora of like indirect weapons that can reach pretty much anywhere they want, anytime they want. And then as soon as, as they do their job and kill something, that, you know, motherfucker <laughs> appears on the table and there's very little you can do. So even with, with infiltrators, you, you, you need to place them properly in order to avoid that. So, uh, I mean, it is counterplay, but it will be situational, uh, I guess. Absolutely. And I mean, and the Incon strength isn't in attacking you. It's in winning primary, right? Mm -hmm. Like every time you kill any of the opposing Eldar's models, units, sorry, you have to remember that, do I have enough guns left pointing at that objective to kill the Incon when it arrives? And very often the answer is no, right? If you've just killed a tank, killed a fire prism or something, or a wraith like God forbid, then mm. an Incon arrives, it's like, oh, I'm out of guns. That, that, they've still got their 15 on primary. That's it. <laughs> I love the, uh, the the comment from Simon. Uh, Fuck the Incarn. Just, <laughs> yeah. just straight up, you know. No very simple, yeah. No, I agree. Plus three to migraine. Um, yeah, very spot on. Okay. Uh, any other special mentions or any, any, any other unit that you want to bring up before we jump to number one? Um, I mean, I really wanted to mention Belagor because he's the most impactful unit to my army because I think that he's single-handedly making demons playable right now. Um, but we don't need to really get into the details too much. He's just, um, he's just basically gives loan op to a, lot of, to a lot of the demon army. And without it, they'd just, they'd just not be an army there at all. So he gets my special mention because he's in every single demon list. And I think that at LGT, I'm going to make a bet, even though lists are no aren't even in yet, so people could easily build despite this. I'm gonna place a bet that every single demon list that's that's competing has Bellacor in it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think you can actually play demons effectively without him. Uh, he's just a powerhouse, a powerhouse that buffs the entire army. You want to stay close to him. Uh, yeah, no discussion about it. So I think every demons list should contain the model. Plus, the model is absolutely gorgeous, one of the best yeah. looking models in the game. So uh, just for that sheer cool factor, uh, it deserves to, a, a special mention. The, mo the model is stunning. And, uh, you know, even just at first sight, you're like, this is amazing. And then you try and hide it in one of um, Zach's L's. And you're like, oh my god, I hate this model. Why, is it, why are its wings so wide? Uh, you don't have to tell that to me, a Mortarian player that not only needs to, you know, pivot all the time and spare movement to do that, or sorry, no, spare, spend yeah, the I movement know. to do that, but I, I know your pain, buddy. <laughs> I think I think for Mortarian, though, I used to play with Mortarian, and his wings go over the L, so he, he can, like, he can tuck right in. Belloc was like, oh, you have to, like, snap parts off of him just to get him crammed in those L's sometimes. That that's never good. Uh, but I've seen I don't, I can't remember. I I think last year or two years ago. Uh, I've seen some pictures from from one of Zach's events. Someone brought a Bellacor that was actually playing a violin. That was me. Like that. <laughs> that was you. Oh my god. Oh my god. I want more pictures of that Bellacor because I I think it's somewhere on our Instagram because I just love the model so much. So he'll be at, he'll be at LGT if I don't hats off that. to you, man. Like that's like the best sort of conversion that I've seen. So yeah, absolutely adorable, um, and it will be great to see it live this year. Uh, so yeah, to anyone who wants to see that amazing model, just head onto the LGT, and uh, you might get the opportunity to actually spot it on the table. Um, any other special mentions, or are we doing the number one? No, let's go for it. We're doing the All number right. one. Go ahead. Then. And um, I picked this one um, 
partly for a lot of the men- reasons we've mentioned before in the fact that it's just such a great control piece for these other these other units like the Necron Warriors, the Crisis Suits, the Death Room Knights. All of them see this across the table and just groan. And that is the Eldar Night Spinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, explain again uh, to someone who might not have had an opportunity to to face Elder on the table, and there are still people like that. I'm sure. Yeah, I, uh, I envy I envy those people. I hope I hope you never have to face them. Where is the power coming from? Then? Okay, so the power is not from the damage, but it does have damage. Okay, two night spinners could kill five marines, right? If they spike up, you know, you can you can slowly over the course of a game game whittle away people's trash units with their with their shooting. But the real strength comes from the fact that once you score a hit by a night spinner, the unit hit cannot advance and gets minus two to its movement. So for a lot, for let's say you're looking at Deathwing Knights, okay? These guys have got a five inch move. And if it's turn one and they're on the board, then they can't advance. They have to waddle three inches forward. And at that point, they're not going to be in the next ruin. They're going to be in the open. They're going to, you're going to be able to whittle them down. And, or you're just going to be able to ignore them for a large portion of the game. Necron Warriors, same story, right? Five inch move, down to three, nothing they can do. Oh, they can teleport, can't they? But um, mm. yeah, Crisis Suits, they, they really hate this, okay? So the strength of the Crisis comes from the, um, comes from the, what's it called? The Cold Star Commander that joins them. Mm-hmm. And that gives the Crisis Suits a 12 inch move and assault weapons so you can advance and shoot. Now the Crisis Suit unit, every time it advances, adds six, it's just an auto advances six. So suddenly they move 18 inches. Well, not anymore. They're down to 10 inch move. And that's, it's just, you, it's very easy to play around 10 inch move versus 18 inch move, especially for an Eldar army with Phantasm. It's just, it's, it's, if anything, it's the icing on the cake for which, for what is, you know, the Eldar menagerie of just, just crap, right? So like, you've got the Incarn there. Yeah, obviously, no, even without him though, the army is so annoying. You've got the Phantasms, You've got the fire and fades. You've got all the slipperiness of any other army in the game. And then on top of that, you've got this indirect firing tank that can shoot any unit on the board that it wants at will and be like, you are not moving this turn or not moving as far as you'd want, at least. And it's crippling. It just cripples armies. And, and that's before you look at any Eldar damage. So at this point, Eldar could be in this place where they just have very... They're very low damage, it could be, right? And they just have, they have nothing going for them other than mission play. And they would still be an A-tier army just because of dat sheets like this and their rule set. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a Death Guard player, having my movement halved <laughs> just makes me stay in one spot and not go anywhere. Uh, no, once, once upon a time you ignored that, I think, but uh, not anymore. Yeah, the, 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 there, there, there was a, a nice time in the past when we had a rule that allowed us to actually ignore terrain, ignore any movement affecting abilities, but that's way in the past now. So uh, yeah, units like Night Spinners are an absolute nightmare. Uh, Does that only affect infantry or does it actually affect everything? I don't know. I thought it affected everything, but maybe it only affects infantry. Uh, let's look up the night spinner data sheet. Let's check it out. Yeah, because um, uh, I mean, no, I'm pretty. It definitely impacts crisis suits, which are vehicles and fly. So, 
Uh, I already and... don't like where this is going, but um... yeah, that that feels like everything to me. Maybe it doesn't work on Titanic units. Funnily enough, if you Google that, it doesn't pop up as uh, as an immediate answer. Anyone in the chat, if you know uh, whether that affects only infantry or more stuff as well. So uh, we already know that probably vehicles as well. So uh, there is not much left that uh, it could not affect. I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, but yeah, as you said, absolutely crippling. Uh, any counterplay? Any ideas like how to deal with I'm things like this? hit against an enemy unit that enemy unit is pinned so it is any enemy any. Unit. yeah yeah um counterplay well it's a unit that fires indirect so you can't hide from it has a 48 inch range which is the, the entire next board. yeah and um it hits on threes or whatever with the with the free reroll so you're not even gonna get a lucky lucky and not even hit you so um mm. Counterplay? Hmm. I guess have more than more threats than they have night spinners, right? If you have three units of death and knights, they can't slow them all down. But no, I mean, there's other there's other solutions, right? So the Necrons have the teleport that gets around it. Um, death ring knights can obviously be put in reserve. That means they can they can deep strike. That you won't get um you won't get webbed until the turn you come in at least. Um, and the same for Crisis, you can do the same thing. So any of these, basically adapt to, once you see the Knight Spinner across the table, adapt for the idea that this, you know, this slow trudge towards the middle is not going to work. You have to make your units more dynamic via Deep Strike and things like that. But on the flip side of that, I think an Eldar army, an MSU Eldar army, is just going to grin if someone puts all their Crisis unit into Deep Strike or all of their their Deathwing Knights into Deep Strike, they're just going to be like, right, well, turn two on, turn two and three, I'm just going to screen the entire board. I'm going to mm. push you back into your deployment zone. And we're going to have the same, you're going to have the same problem just from turn three onwards. So, I mean, Eldar, Eldar don't like fighting with their entire army against your entire army. They don't like that. So if you can bring that about, through the night spinners so let's say turn one you go first and your deathwing knights you could just and you get re-roll your advance roll to try and get those you know those four five six and really push out towards the middle as fast as you can then you've made it you know you've made it halfway before it gets to shoot so yeah that's one piece of advice i have is go first you know <laughs> sometimes that helps um yeah or you know threat overload absolutely yeah, target saturation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and if they're cri if your crisis suits slowed, or you know if your your corn, um, you know your one unit of your eight bound is slowed or whatever, it's like fine. Well, um, I don't know. It's hard, isn't it? Because you don't what it's almost what it's encouraging you to do is go in dribs and drabs with the bit that can make it. But that's probably exactly what Eldar want. So yeah, I can only think. Really, but again, it, it doesn't help the majority of the armies because I don't think there are many armies that allow you to deep strike closer than nine inches. I can think of Gene Stealer cults. I can think of uh, uh, Tyranid uh, Trigon that you could potentially try and uh, rapid ingress a unit like that. And then if the Eldar player actually allows you to do that, uh, and a thinking Eldar player probably would never allow that to happen. Uh, other than that, just count on lucky nines if you deep strike with something. 
uh, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously, like the, the best way to, 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 to counterplay is to hide with reserves but, and so on and then count on those lucky nines. I guess I guess the thing is it's it's not it's not a permanent solution to the problem, the night spinner, right? If let's say you're Death Three Knights or you're Nakon Warriors, okay? Sure you're slowed, but you're still there. So it's gonna take you twice as long, but by turn three you'll have made it to the middle. And now Eldar, you know, a lot of Eldar armies don't really have the damage to punch right through a unit of Deathwing Knights in one go. So, you know, you, you can lean in to your own strengths instead of, you know, being all doom and gloom about it and just make them roll the dice, right? Like, it's never it's never set, set in stone. So just keep playing your mission as best you can. Like, try and execute your game plan, even though some of your guys are slower and they've got Eldar's guys, like stabbing you in the ankle every now and again and then <laughs> disappearing behind a wall so you can't interact with them you know just having a having a good old time and then the incarn arrives and kills your guy on your backfield and you're like oh, oh well just keep keep the keep trudging forward that's what i say yeah do you think that because um again it it, it makes sense to to advise people to play to the mission and uh and just hope that the, the elder army doesn't cripple you fast enough so that you can actually bring some points but is there any play in trying to deny elder points and missions or is it too hard to do right now no yeah you can definitely you can deny them primary right they don't like um there's they'll often want to preserve resources well i mean yeah so if you the the power of phantasm is um you know to avoid a threat right so if you come point guns at every point of an objective then that unit will have to phantasm off the point in order to live that that infantry unit and so that's a good way to um to to fight for primary because they do run out of stuff quite quick and if the wheels fall off the bus with eldar then then yeah the, the then it's going to crash or whatever so um mm-hmm. so if you can get those those infantry those scoring units um out of position or yeah make them make a choice between trying to hold primary or um yeah and yeah, you can definitely deny them secondaries as well, right? Especially if you're an army like Necrons or like Tau. Well, maybe not Tau because of um, because of Bring It Down, but definitely uh, Necrons and definitely or like Marines and stuff, because there's a lot of them are kill secondaries. And if all you've got is a unit of Deathwing Knights out in front, then you know it's not gonna it's not gonna give up at most. It's gonna give up at most two or three for overwhelming force or whatever you know. And mm. your list probably you know you can avoid giving up Bring It Down. You can avoid giving up Assassinate. You just need those couple of good turns to swing against you. And while you can also, um, and if you're also picking up the kills in response, maybe by forking some of their um, infantry units. So basically, that's, you know, it means get line of sight on two units at once. So then even if they fan dozen one, you've still got an option to shoot. An option to shoot, sorry. Mm-hmm. So is that your game plan for your demons army as well? Well, demons have their own tricks, right? So Bellacore can't be shot outside of 18 no one in the army can be shot outside of 18 mm-hmm. i can teleport within three so um there are tools yeah demons have pretty good tools i think into eldar um but yeah the the uh, the essentially the demon army is about picking being able to leverage the fact that your people struggle to interact with you to into some into somehow winning the fight right so you'll almost always get the first hit but you know, if, if we're talking about Eldar specifically, then that, that kind of falls apart again because Malay is very, very ineffective against these um these movement abilities like Phantasm. Mm-hmm. Like you have to you have to be threatening multiple units in the same way, but 
when you threaten a unit with a melee unit, often that unit is is now has now been thrown away, right? Like like melee units have to trade in order to get value. And so if you're going for a charge on on some small um, you know, night specters or whatever they're called, shadow specters, mm-hmm. and they phantasm away, then your unit is still gonna die. It doesn't matter if over on the other side of the board you managed to get that charge off because um they couldn't find fa- they could only phantasm in one place. You still then traded two for one and yeah. <laughs> nice shadow specters were already very cheap to serve. Mm-hmm. But I think that yeah, like I said, it's it's you want to hit them with everything at once, Felder. Like so, if you are in a position where you can just put just threat overload them, then I think that's the that's the best approach because they they can't their tricks don't get them out of everything. Yeah, and I think that's a a fantastic piece of advice and the one that uh, we will leave our listeners with for the night uh will is there so first of all thank you for doing this thank you for for you know preparing that list uh for us i think it was really entertaining really insightful uh really deep uh is there anything you would like to plug or is there any place where people can find you uh may maybe find any information about the mind goblins um tell us all about it Sure, I think there's. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. We mind goblins have a social media page. Maybe they do, but um, I don't think. Yeah, I haven't been involved with that. But maybe just Google mind goblins. I'm sure we'll show up, or just find us at the events. We've all got uh, very fetching purple t-shirts now. So uh, yeah, just come say hi. Um, and I myself have actually. I did start a YouTube channel uh, last year, but um, it's kind of it's a, getting a bit dusty now. But if you want to check out some uh, some competitive breakdowns of some um, some games from Adepticon or um, or LVO last year, then you can see that at Top Tables Forty K. Well, mate, definitely you have the voice, you have the knowledge for all and all the insights. Uh, maybe it's time to revive that channel because it sounds like uh, a goldmine, to be perfectly honest. Well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll get. I'll, yeah, maybe after Christmas. Fingers crossed. Anyway, uh, thank you for uh, coming and joining us on, on on this episode. Thank you to everyone who has listened to this live, and thank you to everyone who is listening to it uh, either on YouTube or the podcasting media of all sorts. Uh, we will be back maybe tomorrow if it's not recorded. If it's live. If it's uh, recorded, then probably we will post the episode on what day is it today? Monday. Then we will we will post it on Wednesday, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we will be recording another episode, another um, uh, LGT's Lucky Seven on Thursday with people from Team Glasshammer. So again, make sure that you have some time. Uh, put aside to, uh, to to watch that. And uh, yeah, check the description of the ep- episode for our uh, Patreon page, uh, for the links to our social media and so on. Um, and yeah, watch this space for more episodes because this week and next week we will be posting a huge amount of episodes for your viewing pleasure. Uh, just, I just figured out that there is, I, I thanked everyone and so on, but there were some questions in the chat. Will, do you have uh, time for one or two questions from the listeners? Absolutely, that's fine. All right, so uh, very quickly, we have a question from Adam Skinner. I'd be curious on Will's thoughts on the anti-demon choice that is Grey Knights. Um, I think Grey Knights are... Um, I think maybe demons are anti-Grey Knights at the minute. Uh, we, um, I feel like there's this, there's this idea of a rivalry between Grey Knights and demons. But mm-hmm. in my head, I'm not sure the demons know who the Grey Knights are. 
I feel like the Grey Knights really, really claim like they're, they're, they've got this great nemesis. And the demons are just like, who? Whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, in the actual, on the, on the tabletop, um, I think it's an interesting game right now, right? Because you both have this basically mirrored abilities to teleport around the board, deep strike within three. Um, but what the Grey Knights have is this innate durability and they're even slipperier than demons. But they do, they do fall apart when you can catch them. So, um, so if you do manage to, yeah, to pin a unit down or, um, yeah, actually manage to attack it, then I think you end up ahead in that fight in general. Like it depends what monsters you're bringing, right? Because right now the the big monsters are a bit inefficient, and the Lord of Change, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really do much against the Grey Knights because of their their AP buffs and stuff. But um, if you're looking at high damage, small um, infantry units, it doesn't work, does it? Because they just teleport away every time you attack them. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think that in that matchup, you're both kind of focusing on the mission. That's You're kind of anti-armies in, in the same way. So if you screen out your good bits, your juicy bits, um, with Bel outside of Bellacore's 18, right? And then give them your kind of trashier units a little bit if they want to attack you then attack them in two places. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Because you can, they can only do the strat at one, because it's a stratagem, <laughs> teleport away. So if they want to attack you, then you just, like the Eldar, you fork their um, you fork their paladin blocks. And if you manage to get one of those four blocks down, then the army really, it, you know, it really grinds Rumbles. to a halt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, valid point. Uh, and then not really a question because that's uh, th there was a comment from from Simon uh, Simon Harris who uh, mentioned Admech and mentioned that Cataphrons with their five inch move and then uh, you know being shot by a night spinner that 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 uh, brings that unit to a halt. But I just wanted to ask out of sheer curiosity: uh, Is anyone on Team Mind Goblins actually uh, considering Admech as an army, or have they not received enough buffs yet? Yes, we do have an Admech player. Um, he's actually the newest Mind Goblin. I think we uh, we snapped them up after people noticed how well he was doing with Admech. Mm. I think he beat a couple of the Mind Goblins, and so they uh, they were like, "Yeah, we'll um, we'll slide into his DMs as is the Mind Goblin <laughs> way." Um, so yeah, so we snapped him up. I think his name is Johnny. We haven't actually spoken um, me and him. I think it's. It, it, I hope it's Johnny at this point. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, right. like I say, we've said, we've said, um, me and him have arranged. We're definitely going to have a game before LGT because I need to practice into Admech. Because what you don't want to do is be blindsided by these mm -hmm. um, armies that have, have received sly buffs and then are actually much stronger than you maybe anticipated. So, um, as far as I'm aware, the Admech trick is that it overwatches you and and kills everything. <laughs> so you have to be very, and if you're not aware of that going in, right, then you can lose a very um, valuable resource to overwatch and that's 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 game losing right yeah that's that's the last thing that you want so yeah i'm, I'm actually happy for for all the armies considered the underdogs i i'm really hoping for some huge upsets at both the invitational and the main event of the lgt i would like to see uh, admic players uh, actually do well death guard players do well uh what other army whatever other army is there, um, you know, that was considered up to the data slate um, an underdog. I would like to see those armies succeed because those make for the best stories. So, 
yeah, I'll, I, I think I'll leave everyone with with that thought. That fingers crossed that LGT turns out to be an entertaining event with a lot of uh, unexpected turns of events, and uh, we will be there to report on that for you. So, uh, with that in mind, Will, one more time, thank you, and to all our listeners, both live and not live, thanks a lot for being with us. And uh, until next time, bye everyone. Cheers. <laughs>